Hello, friends, and welcome to the Field Guide to Body Language podcast. My name is Laurel. I am a movement analyst and a body language nerd and also your host. Today, I want to share with you a little bit about why I'm so passionate about what I do. You, like I said earlier, um, I'm a movement analyst. I'm actually certified in Laban Movement Analysis, or LMA for short. And no, you probably haven't heard of it unless you've been on my website. Um, Laban Movement Analysis has always kind of lived in a super tiny little niche market of high academic art circles, and it just hasn't seen the light of day, but it's a brilliant system. Like I said, it, it lives in high academic art circles, so it can obviously be applied to the performing arts, dance, acting, music, um, but it doesn't really take a stretch of the imagination to see how it applies to our everyday movement, our body language. Even when you think you're just like just sitting at your desk, there's still a lot of movement going on, and LMA tells the story of that movement. When I was working on my undergrad, I took an intro course to LMA and I just adored it. It wasn't, it wasn't everyone's favorite class. Most people kind of muscled through because you needed it for choreography, but I was happier there than I had been in a long time. My brain felt challenged in a way that it likes to be challenged. Then when I went for my master's degree at Columbia College Chicago, not only did I dig deep into my favorite subject, I found my people. Um, I've never really felt like I belonged to any group of people. I'm quite good at being the odd man out, to be honest. Um, of course, I mean, I had friends growing up. I had dance friends, um, but the nature of our relationships was always very competitive and I don't thrive in a competitive atmosphere. Uh, I still don't. In fact, we, we all have better relationships now, like 25 years later than we did when we were dancing together. Um, and I made, I made friends at work, but I always felt like a loner because I'm not the kind of person who wants to go grab a drink after my shift. I just want to go read in bed. But then I met my cohort at Columbia College Chicago. Um, by the end of the first week-long intensive, I realized that I did have people and I had found my people. Other people who were nerdy and artsy and passionate existed, and I had found all 10 of them. On top of that, the subject matter, which I loved anyway, came right down to my everyday life and showed me how my nerdy love for Laban movement analysis could shed light on a situation that I was pretty lost in. This system really changed my life. So here we go with some backstory. Um, my husband and I got married really young. He was 21 and I was 20 and we had dated for maybe a year and we both just felt like it was going to work. So we got married. I look back on this moment with so much gratitude because we've been married for almost two decades now, and we've been through a lot together and we know each other really well. But I look back at our wedding and I realize I hardly knew him at that point. Seriously, I'd never dated before I met him, which is a long story about a combination of super time consuming after school activities and strict parents that I'll save for my therapist. But honestly, I spent six hours a day, six days a week in a ballet studio, and I just didn't have the opportunity to even think about dating. So I graduated high school, moved 2,600 miles away for college, started dating, and then got married all in under three years. 
my poor parents probably thought that I was completely nuts. But now we've been married for almost 20 years, and I'm so grateful for the life we've built together. And I'm acutely aware of how lucky I am that it worked out. So we got married young. And then we had four kids in six years. No, there were no sets of twins. And yes, we do know how that happens. We just dove right into this parenting thing, and we did a lot of learning along the way. And now we have a lovely little family. Well, a lovely big family. And I do I do want to just pause for a moment because I feel so deeply for people who struggled to have kids. We lost a baby in between our first two kids. And even though it was early on in the first trimester, it was a heart-wrenching experience. And one early miscarriage is barely a blip on the radar for someone who's struggling with infertility. And I know exactly how lucky I am that that was easy for us. Please know that I don't ever take that for granted. Getting back on track now. A couple of years after our youngest son was born, my little sister had a baby, a little girl. And about a year and a half later, my sister got sick and my parents took over the care of my niece. So my niece, Ella, was about 18 months old, and she was living with my parents, who at the time were in their late 60s and late 70s. And so already the math shows that this wasn't a sustainable long-term plan. This is just not something that was going to work forever. And as time wore on, it became clear that my sister wasn't going to be able to care for my niece in the way that she wanted to, and we needed a plan. So Nate and I were very happy to be able to adopt her. And this amazing opportunity to bring Ella into our family presented the most unique and slightly terrifying situation. She used to have tantrums that were completely different from the older kids. And I was at a complete loss for how to help her with them. I was totally blindsided and I was convinced that I was going to fail as a mother. I had accepted responsibility for caring for Ella. And I was terrified that it was going to screw it up. Oddly enough, the thing that saved the situation was really that I was also working on my master's degree because, you know, nothing says I like to overcommit, like raising four children, adopting a fifth, working through your master's degree and moving to a different home and working two jobs. Anyway, the point is I was getting my master's degree. And like I said earlier, my studies were in this super niche market of movement analyzation. I should also mention that LMA isn't widely valued in the professional world. So this was more of a guilty pleasure project for me than something I thought was going to advance me professionally. All that being said, during one of my lectures, my professor was going on about movement preferences and different combinations of the effort elements. And then she mentioned one specific combination and she said, quote, this is what happens when someone has a tantrum, end quote. And I kid you not, everything else in the room disappeared. And I have no idea what she went on to talk about because she just explained the theory of movement for when a kid throws a tantrum. And I just had to stop and be like, hold up now. There is movement theory behind tantrums. You're telling me that this super nerdy thing, this thing that up until this moment I had considered an indulgence, has real life applications and not just random one-off applications. Every parent wants to know how to tame a tantrum. Every single parent. Now I am a systems girl. I love systems and I love their applications. And Mr. Chu, if you're listening, I know math is a system too, but it just didn't ever click. And I'm so sorry. But in general, if there's a system and a theory to apply, I am all in. 
And here we were in the middle of a movement analysis lecture. And my professor was essentially telling me how to use the theory I was learning to help my daughter with her tantrums. That moment gave me so much hope. Tantrums can feel like a whirlwind that you kind of get caught up in and there's no way out of. You just have to hope for the best and wait it out. And the organization of having a theory and a plan is so freeing because you're not at the mercy of the tornado. So my master's program was a weekend intensive style program, and I had a four hour drive after this lecture to get home. And I just remember not listening to any music or any podcasts on the way home because I felt like my brain was exploding with applications. The system is huge and it covers all aspects of human movement, and it offers endless possibilities for building relationships, parenting well-rounded kids, knowing yourself, presenting yourself to the outside world, finding balance both physically and mentally, literally endless applications. When my friends ask me for advice, which happens a fair bit, we like to call this accidental therapy. Um, 90% of the time I apply movement theory and give advice according to what the Laban system would recommend. And it works every time. Oh man. Okay. I got excited and I have to backtrack a little bit to Ella's tantrums. Um, So as many of you who have biological and adopted children probably know when you are biologically related to someone, you have a little insight into the way their mind works, a little bit of built-in knowledge into what's going on in their brain. And that's what I relied on heavily with my first four kids. For instance, my oldest son is very much like me. So when he's struggling with something, it's usually something that I've been through in some way. When he was little, maybe three or four, he used to love to play with Legos. And one day he got this new Lego set and he played with it all afternoon, just completely enthralled with it. And dinner time came around and I called him down for dinner and he flat out refused to come. And I started getting a little bit frustrated. And I was like, look, kiddo, I put time and effort into making dinner and it's ready and it's hot and it's time to come down to dinner he still refused. And then it occurred to me that he didn't understand that his Legos would still be there waiting for him after dinner. The kid was hungry. I'm sure. I'm sure he wanted to eat. He just didn't understand that he could have dinner and Legos. He had no concept of object permanence, and he didn't understand that he could momentarily leave the Legos, go have delicious dinner. Thank you very much. And his Legos would be there waiting for him when he got back. And I knew this because it was and is something that I also experience this like obsession that I must finish something before I leave it because I can't finish it when I get back. I'm not saying it's rational, but that's how my brain works. Just ask me how many browser tabs I have open. And so I told my son, okay, bud, I know you're having a great time playing with your Legos and I promise these will be here for you after dinner. They aren't going anywhere. And I know you're hungry. So how about we go eat? And then we come back to this and I could see on his face that he almost believed me. So we just brought the Legos to the kitchen table to prove to him that they would still be available for him after dinner. So our shared life experience, the fact that we shared personality traits and had an established relationship helped me understand what he needed in the moment and communicate it to him in a successful way. But Ella and I aren't biologically related. And we had no pre-existing relationship to use as a foundation. 
And so when she came to live with us, I felt like I was in an extreme mothering disadvantage. And my heart goes out to every foster parent out there who I am sure has experienced this because I felt like I had no idea what was going on in her head. We had little to no rapport. She was two years old and practically nonverbal. With the older kids, by the time they were two, I had carried them in my belly for nine months, birthed them, nursed them, snuggled them, kissed them, bathed them, fed them, hugged them, and rocked them to sleep. And now I was trying to start afresh with a two-year-old who didn't know me and had no good reason to trust me. This poor little one would throw fierce tantrums and she would sob for literally hours. I had no idea what to do. I was at a complete loss because everything I had relied on with my older kids didn't work with Ella. And so I just flew by the seat of my pants and I did the best that I could. And I hoped that it would turn out okay. But when you are raising human beings, leaving things to chance is not really an A plus plan. I literally was holding this child's life and success in my hands and I owed it to her to give her the best that I possibly could, but I felt like I was just failing miserably. So circling way back around to my professor's comment about tantrums. And I was like, okay, let's give this a go and see if it actually works. And I tried it. I applied movement theory to the movement of her tantrums, the body language of her tantrums. I abandoned my pattern of previous mothering experience and I just looked at her body language and I responded to that and that alone. And you know what happened? I'm still baffled by this actually. And I shouldn't be because I know this system inside and out, but it worked. So I'm going to get a little bit more technical here because this is actually, this is super interesting. Um, If you've listened to previous episodes of the podcast or watched the free intro video, this should make sense. Um, If you're new and you get lost in the technical jargon in the next few minutes, head on over to my website, fieldguidetobodylanguage.com and watch the free intro video. So you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when I say there was a lot of increasing pressure in Ella's crying. There's very little variation in time and an abundance of free flow. So her crying was getting progressively heavier and she couldn't stop. It was like a repetitive droning sob and she would be like this for days. Now that increasing pressure is very much a part of her movement profile or her body language dialect. She's had a preference for increasing pressure for as long as I have known her. And that's not a bad thing. It means she can stand up for herself when she needs to, or put her foot down when she feels like she's not being treated fairly. That's great. I don't ever want her to lose that. However, in this moment, it wasn't helping her. And I was like, okay, if I layer on top of her tantrum, which is already heavy with increasing pressure, if I lay on top of that, a harsh reprimand of the, I'll give you something to cry about variety, which in and of itself also has a lot of increasing pressure, it will have the opposite effect of what I want. It will reinforce her movement preference of increasing pressure and make the tantrum worse. What she needed was to see the opposite. She needed to learn how to lift herself out of this deep sadness that she's stuck in. So the best thing I can do for her is model decreasing pressure. So none of this stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about junk. That's not what she needed in the moment. I have to model what she needs to learn. She needed to know that there was an alternative to how heavy she was feeling. 
Now she's two at this point. So we're not having deep discussions about acknowledging feelings or self-affirmation. We're still working on stringing two words together and the proper pronunciation of the word milk. But nonverbals can account for like 90% of communication. So we didn't use words. We used movements. And I had to show her the opposite of where she was. I had to show her how to rebound. We can be happy. This is achievable. Not that we want to dismiss negative emotions. Those are important. But she needed to learn how to recover from them. And that's what I demonstrated. And you know what? It worked beautifully. The more I demonstrated how to climb out of the deep well of depression, how to rebound, how to embrace a full range of emotions, the shorter Ella's tantrums got. She went from being in a depressed funk for literally days to recovering the next day, then to recovering in a few hours. And now she'll still have sad moments as we all do and should, but she can pull herself out of that state all by herself. I didn't shame her or discipline her for being sad. There's nothing wrong with being sad or depressed. It just showed her that there was a way out. This process is what we call an effort modulation. And these can be quite simple or incredibly complex, depending on how many steps you have to take to get from point A to point B. And I will definitely deep dive into this in a future episode. It's more than we need to cover for today, though, but I will cover it. So if this piqued your interest, stay tuned. Thanks so much for sticking around for this whole story. I can't even begin to tell you how nice it was to be able to share this with all of you. As always, if you have any questions, you can DM me on Instagram. I'm at Laurel Foley or email me Laurel, L-A-U-R-E-L at fieldguidetobodylanguage.com. Take care, friends. 